Well, good morning, everyone. And I do want to wish all the moms a happy Mother's Day. And I'd like to wish my mom in heaven a happy Mother's Day. Uh, There's no one like a mom, no one like a mom. And no one loved me like my mom did. Uh, You know, I think a lot about moms, and I am going to preach a message today about women in the Bible. So I'm not going to really overly hit the mom thing, but I'll say a few fun things about moms. Uh, The Bible says in a couple places to the children, obey the commander, the instruction of your father and the law of your mother, which could not be more true because mom lays down the law. I can't tell you how many times I say to my kids, go ask your mother. And then she says, go ask your dad. And if I ever override her on something, woo, I'm in big trouble. And so uh, moms, no one cares and loves like a mom. And I know some of us here uh, maybe had moms that were broken and all people can be broken. But what I can say is in general, God has a very special place in his heart for mothers. And I've talked about that before, and I'm going to talk a little bit about it today in the context of women, but I do want to say that for those of you that have lost your mom, I lost my mom in 2016. She was 70. She was a four foot nine Greek lady. Some of you might remember her. She would come in here with her walker and, you know, she had a lot of health problems. She didn't live very healthy in her life physically and uh, even spiritually until I led her to the Lord in 1994. That's when I led my mom to the Lord, 1994. And um, I had gotten born again. And as soon as I got born again, she was my first convert, the first one that I led to the Lord. And she was easy. She's like, if I'm in. I didn't even have to convince her. She was in and she went all in all the rest of her life. And she was a big evangelist who preached boldly for Jesus everywhere she went, loved people really well. But she'd come in with her walker. And at that time, we used to sell gelato at the coffee shop, which we are planning on bringing back, by the way. And uh, she would come in with a bag of chips, a a breakfast sandwich, a cup of gelato. And uh, she would come into the front row and she'd start eating the gelato and I'm, I'm preaching, man, I'm preaching on fire. And she would fall asleep. <laughs> and she would fall asleep while eating the gelato. And then it would melt all over the floor. And my mom would just sit there sleeping away in the front row. <laughs> <clears throat> I have a funny story about people sleeping in church. It happens. Uh, I was sitting behind somebody once in a church service and they started dozing off and snoring. And so I kicked their chair and they startled up and they turned around and let me have it. Man, I've made them so mad, so mad. And he pointed his finger in my face and said, let me tell you something. Just because I'm sleeping in church doesn't mean I'm not receiving. He said, my ears are still open and I'm still hearing though I may be sleeping. He said, it's better for me to be here than not be here. And I was like, okay, all right. So now, I mean, I couldn't argue with that. So look, if I put you to sleep, just sleep away. Just sleep away, all right? That's partly why we have the coffee shop. It's a secret setup. People often say, is it the fire or is it the coffee? I'm like, it's both. It's both. Anyway, so... For those of you that are missing your mom, 
a lot that if she's passed away, uh, I believe our moms are hanging out in heaven. I believe that, in fact, I know, not even believe that those that go before us that are with Jesus can actually see what we're doing here on earth. I can show that to you in the Bible. So they, they are there cheering us on from there, right? And they still get to witness the beautiful story written of our lives. And so I believe that our moms are hanging out today and they're having the best Mother's Day ever because your mom is now friends with my mom, right? And my mom, she's just healthy, strong, cheering me on from heaven and it brings me comfort, you know? I, I know some of you, you're, you're, and I understand, whether it's a father, a mother, or a loved one, we've lost a child also, and so, but the, there's always hope and comfort to know that we will go to them. And I can show you that in the Bible too. The point is, is that I believe we'll see them again, and that brings a lot of hope and comfort to know that they're cheering us on now. There's a promise to carry forward from their legacy that was not fully fulfilled, that you get to fulfill from your parents, and we'll get to see them again one day. So be encouraged, and happy Mother's Day to all of you. If you, do, if you are not a mom physically, you're all called to be spiritual mothers, no matter what your age is, because there's always somebody younger than you that knows less than you do, that needs you, you know? And I remember when I was in elementary school, I always looked up to the next grade, and I always thought they were so much older and wiser, and I always wanted to hang out with people that were older than me. And so if you are a Christian and you're young, man or woman, you have a responsibility to spiritual parent and lead and influence those that are coming up behind you because they look, they'll look up to you, all right? So uh, today, we're going to be teaching a message that I could write a whole book on, it's something I love to talk about, and it's women in ministry. I've, every year at Mother's Day, I talk about women in ministry. I've taught on Sarah. I've taught on Deborah. I've taught on Mary. I've taught on Esther. I've taught on Naomi and Ruth over all the years. And I was looking back through all my Mother's Day messages, and part of me just wanted to preach one I preached before, but God never lets me do that. He never lets me go back and just repeat a message. He always gives me a new download, or I'll take parts of that and develop it further as I've grown older and come to know the Lord more. And so I would love to write a book on the importance of women in ministry and women in the Bible, except for the fact that the book's already been written. It's called the Bible. And the Bible clearly clearly dispels the myth that women cannot be pastors or in ministry. It's a lie. And some people aren't going to like that. And I've taught extensively about the Corinthian church and the church of Ephesus and Paul's commands to those churches regarding the culture, the context, and the content of women in that day. And the issues that were happening in the church and the culture the culture, the kingdom culture is alive now. And as things have shifted today from where they were thousands of years ago when those letters were written. And so it's a character issue. It's a character issue. And that character issue can be in men and women. But you had women that were in a dominant society that were dominating the men. 
that were unbridled, that were unhealthy, that were considered, in a sense, the supreme leaders of those cultures. You had the temple of Diana or the temple of Artemis, where a woman was being worshipped. A false god, a false deity, was being worshipped in Ephesus. And so... Throughout the Bible, we see a lot of conflict with women that are not bridled by the Holy Spirit, and it goes all the way back to the garden. In the garden, when Adam and Eve ate from the tree, one of the results of that curse was that there'd be a battle of the sexes, and that the woman would have a desire to usurp the authority of man, and the man would be a macho man to crush and dominate over the woman. And we see this plaguing our society today. And so I'm not going to fully be teaching on those things, but I'm going to touch on it just a little bit because you can't accurately preach this message that I'm going to preach without challenging women to be bridled fully by the Holy Spirit and to be in submission to their husbands and what proper healthy submission looks like, all right? Because it's different than what the world says and it's different than what man-made religion says. It's different. So don't get mad at me and don't get triggered, all right? I know when I say the S word, some of y'all are like, oh man, I'm bowing up. But don't bow up. Submission was the word, by the way, S word, submission, okay? And don't say the F word in here. We don't drink Folgers, all right? Okay. Anyway, so we're going to talk about heavenly women of the Bible. Buckle your seatbelt. We're going to rip through this and... uh, We're going to see where God takes us. (laughs) Heavenly Women of the Bible. We're in a series titled Heavenly. And as my gift to all the moms and all the women in this church, I'm preaching a message for you. All right? This was not an original part of my series, but my series just so happened to fall on Mother's Day. So we're going to tie it in. Heavenly Women of the Bible. And we're going to talk about a few specific women in the Bible who had incredible access to heavenly revelation and the unique privilege of being called a prophetess. So the, the premise of this entire series is the mindset that we're not of this world, that we come from another kingdom. We're otherworldly now. You're not worldly by the world standards. You're of the heaven's standards. You're a citizen of heaven, the Bible says. And because you become a citizen of heaven, and I haven't got to being seated in heavenly places, which we're going to get to. We haven't got to the understanding of heavenly wisdom yet. There's a whole nother insight and revelation that comes from above that you'll never get from anything on earth. It's called heavenly wisdom. You have access to all kinds of insight and understanding and prophetic insight and revelation from the heavens that you'll never get on earth if you're born again. But you don't get it if you're not born again. If you haven't surrendered your life to Christ, you're not gonna get it. It's, not, it's for everyone, but not everyone gets it. And so what I want you to understand with this whole series, we started with the heavenly father and we went right to the heavenly man, which was that son of God who was different than Adam, who was a natural man ruled by his senses and ruled by his passions, and now we step into becoming heavenly when we give our lives to Christ. And we dispelled the myth of being so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good last week, which is an idiotic lie, unless you're really a weird religious person. And there's some of those out there. You can't have a normal conversation with them. They can't, every other word is so spiritual that nobody even understands what you're saying. You're critical, you're judgmental, you're you're hyper-religious. I had a 
I should be careful what I say, but we had a relative that was sure because I had long hair and earrings, I was going to hell. And probably still sure to this day that I am, all right? So we're we're moving along through this series because what I want is I want you all to be heavenly, but and heavenly minded. Jesus came as he's the heavenly man. Now we're heavenly. This was last week's message. Adam was a man of dust and went back to the dust. We are heavenly people from the heavenly man that go from the dust to a heavenly reality. All right. Heaven is a place. Heaven is above us. Heaven comes into us. God wants heaven on earth. He wants us to bring heaven on earth. The difference between a believer and a disciple is believers, they just want to get their passport stamped and make it to heaven. Disciples bring heaven to earth. So I'm not waiting for the by and by pie in the sky, stamp my passport, I hope I make it. You have a much bigger purpose of living on earth, and that is to be heavenly minded and to bring the reality of what's there here. All right, does everybody understand that? Okay, so what we're gonna see is that women have, a, have unique places and positions in the kingdom of God and should never be discounted, but rather properly empowered to lead and speak boldly on behalf of the heavenly father. Women are vitally important to the ministry as leaders, as ministers, and as mothers, vitally important. So much so that God teaches us early on that the fullness of his heart lies within the nature of a man and a woman, a mother and a father, a bride and a bridegroom, is fully encompassing in the nature of who he is, all right? That's in Genesis chapter one. He created them in his image and likeness. And there's many reasons why God is identified and focuses on his nature as a man and a father and the son as a man. There are many reasons for that. But what I want you to know is that inside the heart of God is, a, is created equally. He created them, a man and a woman. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says that there's neither male nor female for those that are in Christ Jesus. So once we're in Christ Jesus, God sees us uniquely equal and does not dis- discriminate based on our gender. God does not discriminate based on gender. All right? None of us would be here today if it wasn't for a woman. Let's just make that clear. I mean, just a straight fact. (laughs) A woman gave birth to Jesus. The first evangelist in the New Testament was a woman. She led an entire city to the Lord. That's John chapter 4, the woman at the well. Jesus profs her out. She gets rocked. She goes back to Samaria tells the whole city about the Messiah, and then they all come out to hear, and the whole city gets turned upside down, and Jesus is welcomed for several days into the city because of a woman. The first person to speak to Jesus after the resurrection was a woman, and there were other women with her. A woman was the first person to announce that Christ had resurrected from the dead. Okay? Okay? Women were key disciples that traveled and ministered with the disciples. They served as deacons. There were women deacons in the Bible. Okay, this is Luke chapter 8 and verse 1. It basically says that women traveled with Jesus and women were the key provisional resources financially for Jesus' ministry. 
And I'm pretty sure that the only spot we read about Jesus, Jesus actually being provided for financially came from women. There were roughly 50 key women mentioned in the Bible. Sarah, and I love talking about all these women. I've studied them. You should study them. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Ruth, and Naomi. Hannah, Abigail, Deborah, Esther, Rahab, who was a prostitute. Elizabeth, Mary, Anna, and so many more. Some of you may know that there were some women that also went astray, that got deceived. Eve, Potiphar's wife, Delilah, Herodias and Salome, Jezebel. And we're going to talk about one other woman here in just a moment who was incredibly gifted that also got deceived. And I believe there's a reason why some of these women got deceived to the way that they did. And my reasoning for that is that I believe God has such a unique purpose and specific call inside the heart of a woman that accurately represents his purpose and his vision on another level, which is why we are called the bride of Christ. So men, whether you like it or not, we're called a bride. Sorry, not sorry. And that's a spiritual understanding that we as a bride, a body, are going to be married. Jesus is, is engaged or betrothed to us now, but there's a wedding feast coming, and you're all invited. Yeah. But there is a guest list that you have to be on, and there is a dress code. You cannot crash this wedding, all right? So I'm going to, and I'd love to dig deep more deeply into this understanding of why I believe God really works on overtime against women. But I'm going to make it very explicitly clear. I believe that God uniquely speaks through women different than men in a powerful, anointed way, and that you are extremely gifted by God. And when you're harnessed and bridled by him as your husband and a husband on earth, and if you're a widow or you're not married, you still have your first love, Jesus, but then God puts government in church for a reason. There has to be healthy submission. An unbridled woman can cause incredible destruction. But a bridled woman can advance the kingdom in a way that I believe no man can. Okay? I, see, I think I have all your ears. I at least have all the women's ears right now, for sure. <laughs> Some of the men, I don't even care if all you men aren't even listening because I'm really talking to the women today, but men, you should listen too because you need a woman that's extremely prophetic and discerning. And, and God holds you accountable if your wife is not. He looks to you. Even if she's unbridled, you are, the, you are called to be the spiritual head of your home. Now, the problem is, is a lot of people don't understand what that means. It doesn't mean dominant. It doesn't mean I'm more important or more special. Marriage is face-to-face. So God would say to Adam, it's not good for you to be alone, so I'm going to make you a help meet, meet face-to-face, not just walk alongside somebody that I can spend time with, but face-to-face, because you only have half the heart of God when it's just a man or it's just a woman. In God's heart is both. So God created marriage to share in the unity and the oneness of who he is in his character and his nature. So he would say, it's not good for man to be alone. So I'm going to create a help meet that is suitable and comparable, equally comparable and suitable for your life. 
But when a woman gets unbridled, especially as gifted as women are called to be, you get a really gifted prophetic woman that is unbridled by her gift, and then you can get what happened to Miriam. So let's talk about Miriam for a moment. She's the first prophetess mentioned in the Bible. First prophetess. Miriam the prophetess played a crucial role in leading Israel out of Egypt. And God actually gave glory to her as leading the Israelites out of Egypt. Micah 6, 4. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. And I sent before you who? Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Miriam was the first worship leader the minute that they stepped foot across the Red Sea and were delivered from the Red Sea. She led an incredible worship service and had power and authority to gather the women, not even just the women, but they were all worshiping and praising God for what God had done. But she led an incredible worship service right after the Israelites got out of Egypt, uh, across the Red Sea, Exodus 15, 20 through 21. Now, when the Bible gives the title to a woman as a prophetess, you can't discount that. It's there in the Bible, whether you like it or not. We're going to talk about a woman as a prophetess here in a minute. Because remember, we're talking about heavenly women. So prophet or prophetic is a heavenly reality. If we even say prophecy, it's for comfort, encouragement, exhortation, building the church today, speaking life. I'm so full of prophetic words right now. You wouldn't believe how many prophetic words I was getting in worship today. And a lot of times I want to give those here to you because I'll see you or God will show me that you're here. But I reserve most of those for a sun, uh, Wednesday Supernormal Natural, and I would encourage you all to come to those. It's once one Wednesday night a month, and I'll usually prophesy over people. You want to come to those. But a prophetess is... is or a prophet or a prophetess is someone who gets divine revelation from the heavenlies, from the heartbeat of God, and then becomes their spokesperson or their mouthpiece to foretell or speak into, whether words of wisdom, words of knowledge, or prophecy, to speak into people's lives in the situa situation straight from the heart of God. So let me ask you, if somebody's really a prophet or a prophetess, they should be speaking accurately from God's heart, which means that they have incredible authority from God to be called a prophetess. Now, I believe we're called to be a prophetic generation. This is a prophetic church. I want you all to hear the voice of the Lord. I want you to build and comfort and encourage each other through prophecy. I want you to speak from the heartbeat of God to one another. We need prophetic evangelism, prophetic teaching, prophetic households, prophetic children. Everything we do should be prophetic because it's coming straight from the heartbeat of God. But that requires a heavenly understanding and a heavenly perspective. So Exodus 15, 20, then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, who was also Moses' sister, by the way, took older sister, took the timbrel or the tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances, and Miriam answered them, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. Now, I read this with, with great power and authority inside the heart of Miriam. It was not just a nice, hey, sing to the Lord. It was, a, it was authoritative from the heart of God. Look at what God has just done. He delivered your enemies. 
He destroyed the things of your past that have held you in bondage. They're drowned in the sea now. You don't even have to look back anymore to your past. Miriam gives prophetic insight and understanding to this reality of worship, praise, dancing, celebrating the goodness of God and the deliverance of God with authority and with power. Some of you may not know that Miriam in Exodus 2 as a young teenager would be charged to watch what would happen to Moses after Moses' mother, whose name was Jochebed, which means Jehovah is glory. That's what Moses' mom means, name means, Jehovah is glory. So when she sends Moses down the river, when Pharaoh had issued the decree to kill all the firstborn children and males of Israel, uh, Moses' mother sends Moses down the river. And who, who just so happens, not by coincidence, but by divine intervention, divine intervention. I re, when I read these stories, I think just how active God is in your life, but you don't see it. So you're manifesting, frustrated, worried about the now, but God's got a setup in the tomorrow. And he's looking at your today. This is so not in my notes, but I'm going to say it because you got to see it in the story in Exodus 2. Moses' mom sends, saves Moses down the river in a basket, like the ark, a foreshot, uh, a uh, future understanding of what happened in the past of the ark. And so Pharaoh's daughter pulls Moses out, and his name went even Moses at the time. She named him Moses, which means draw out of the water, right? So she draws him out of the water, and Moses' mom sent his older sister, Miriam, to go watch and see what happened to the child. So hiding in the bushes is Miriam, somewhere around 12 to 14 years old, a young teenager, a young teenager. And as soon as Pharaoh's daughter pulls Moses out of the water, she runs up to Pharaoh's daughter and says, can I, is there anything I can do to help you with this child being nursed or to take care of the child? She intervenes. She was, she's called a prophetess. She may not have known it, but she had a prophetic call and a prophetic gift, so much so that Miriam would be a key woman to literally save all the Israelites, not just deliver them out of Egypt, but to save Moses' life, who would ultimately be the main deliverer. And so Pharaoh's daughter says, yeah, why don't you take him back to his mom to nurse him? And by the way, I'm going to pay you for it. So Moses' mother gets the child back and then gets paid to nurse the child. Did you know that? So why are you manifesting in your situation right now? Because God knows exactly what you need and when you need it. Everything's a test. You think it was, she had to literally push her child down the river, defy the laws, hide him out and then send the sister to go rescue the son, and the sister prophetically intervenes. This is Miriam, prophetically intervenes and gets Moses back, saves his life, gets back to the mom. The mom gets paid for nursing the child, and probably, and you know, I read a lot of things in, and I don't want it to be unbiblical, but I would bet you while she's nursing, God's speaking to her saying, this son is gonna deliver. This is a mighty deliverer for this nation. And when she hands Moses back to Pharaoh's daughter, she knows there's a purpose. And we all know that Moses, 
who Moses was, we should, and the importance of his life. But what I want you to see today is the importance of Miriam's life. But here's a struggle with Miriam is that Miriam would ultimately become unbridled in her gifting and she would become rebellious. In fact, Miriam's name means rebellious. So how did she rebel? And what happened to Miriam? Well, I'm not gonna teach all that today, but I'll sum it up for you. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Miriam and her brother Aaron conspire and they're frustrated. They start gossiping and they get mad at Moses. Now, they say it was because Moses, maybe because Moses married a black girl from Ethiopia. Maybe there was racism back then. Maybe. Right, chances are likely. So they blame it on the fact that he married Zipporah from Ethiopia. And then what they said to Moses was, why are you the only one that's speaking on God's behalf? We hear from the Lord just as equally. Who put you in charge? Prophetic gift, flamed on, unbridled. This is why God puts husbands. I, God holds me accountable as a husband over my family. My wife is super gifted. But anything that gets sideways, immoral, illegal, unbiblical, or unethical, who does God hold accountable? The man. Now, he'll deal with the women in a unique way, and he dealt with Miriam. He was upset with Miriam, very upset, so much so that the cloud of God's presence comes down, and he addresses her. He says, look, through my prophets, I speak through dreams and visions, but through Moses, I've talked to him face to face. And he's, by the way, he's the most humble man that walks on. He was so humble that when God lifted the cloud and Miriam had leprosy, Moses cried out on her behalf that she would be healed. Don't hold it against her. Seven days, she would have to live outside the camp. You can read the story. And God was, God was hot upset because gossip kills. I cannot explain to you enough how destructive gossip is. And I am not gonna tell you that men, men gossip. But unbridled women in a group together gossiping is a problem. This is a problem for men too, so don't take it personal. But I'm just gonna tell you, this gossip thing is so destructive. God hates it, and you don't wanna mess with the heart of God. It's better that you stay silent and not say anything. The comparison, and especially if you're prophetic, and I think, I think all women are gifted and prophetic. I, I have a high, high respect for my wife. In fact, my wife's heard from God many times before I've heard from God. And I have learned I better listen to my wife. In fact, the Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his, died and gave his life for who? For her. It didn't say for y'all. <laughs> I'm just telling you. It didn't say for, the, for both of you. It said for her. So our job is the proper way to properly cover our wives is to lay our life down as Jesus did from the cross and not live immoral or unbiblical and to set the standard and the tone and then to empower your wife to rise up. And if she rises up higher than you, praise God. I'll take a Deborah all day long. How about you? And the challenge is a lot of you are Deborahs and the, the devil wants you to be a Jezebel. I know I'm just laying it out today. I hope I don't get in trouble, but... It's, it's Bible. 
Deborah or Jezebel. Miriam was gifted and went astray. Why? Now, we don't know about if she had a husband. We don't know any of that. What we do know is Miriam was a prophetess that was used mightily by God and then got prideful. It was her, because it was right when she questioned Moses, God says he's the most humble person in the world. So it was his humility versus her pride. And where did that come from? It came from the garden. It came from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the battle of the sexes, the woman wearing the pants or the macho man crushing the woman. All right, let's move off from Miriam. Let's talk about Deborah. Let's talk about Deborah. Deborah, I love to talk about Deborah. She's probably my favorite woman in the Bible to talk about. Deborah was a leader in Israel three and a half generations after Israel entered the promised land. This was a time when God spoke through, when God led Israel as a theocracy. God used judges and spiritual leaders to lead the nation. There were no kings. So in a day when God said, I'm fully in charge, and the person that's going to lead you on earth, my representative, is a woman. So somebody wants to have an issue with women in ministry or leaders, oh, let's cut Deborah out because it's a deceptive lie. So God had left the foreign nations in the land to test Israel. The children of Israel were not passing the test. They they had a repetitive pattern of doing evil in the sight of the Lord. So 146 years after Joshua, 150 years before Israel's first king, and 200 years before King David, Israel was at a horrible low. They were bankrupt spiritually. They had terrible leadership. They were destitute and they were hopeless. They were being harshly oppressed by a ruthless and wicked enemy of the Philistines and a demonic militant leader named Sisera. This oppression lasted for 20 years until the people desperately cried out to God to rescue and deliver them. They were desperate. Imagine a nation called and formed by God as divided, godless, full of idolatry, and being cruelly and severely oppressed by a wicked regime that worships false gods, human traffics your wives and daughters for their military men. There was rampant slave labor, slave labor, where your best seamstresses and clothing designers are fashion, fashioning clothes for your enemies, kings, and rulers. And because of that idolatry and disobedience, Nothing was normal for the nation of Israel. They, had, no, they were, had hardly any weapons. They were oppressed. It was a demonic dark time. The nation needed a strong, dynamic, and powerful leader who could lead God's people out of their bad decision and wicked oppression. And God would raise up someone with the following qualifications. A woman who was married, who was a prophetess, who ministered a powerful ministry and had her own ministry called the Palm Tree of Deborah or Deborah's Palm Tree. And it's very significant in the Bible. I've taught this before. I'm not going to teach on today. Why a palm tree? Just go study palm trees. You'll get a really good insight into the righteous being like a palm tree. She was bold. She was confident. She was a worshiper. She was a singer. She was a songwriter. She was militant. She was full of faith and wisdom. And she was a mother to her nation. Her name was Deborah, which meant, which means bee. She stings like a bee. And she stayed bridled. 
Judges 4, 4 through 5. Now, Deborah, so again, here we have Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth. Now, I like telling this, I tell this all the time. The only thing you know about Deborah's husband is his name, which I don't think you should probably name anybody Lapidoth because it's an odd name, but you know what it means? Flames of fire. She had a husband that was on fire that you didn't need to know anything about, but you knew tons about the wife. I'll take a, make me lap it off, Lord. Promote my wife. I like, I actually think my wife should speak more than I speak. And some of y'all may not like that, but she's an incredible speaker. And she moves the heart of people in a way in this church that I don't ever move. If my wife gets promoted and raised up, and as long as I stay a man of fire and I'm propelling and she's bridled by the, by the heavenly king and submitted it in our marriage in a healthy way, more power to her. And all the women said, Amen. <laughs> After 20 years of leadership, Deborah would give God's command to finally deal with the harsh oppression through a man named after lightning, Barak. That's his name, lightning. And another woman, Yale, would ultimately get the glory and be called most blessed among women. Now, this is a great story. You got two women. Uh, Barak says, I'm not going into battle. If you don't go, she says, okay, I'm gonna go, but God's gonna give the glory to a woman. So the whole victory, the whole deliverance of a nation was given to a woman, actually women, Deborah and Yael, which means hind's feet, it'd be Yael who's called the most blessed among women because she's the one that would kill Sisera by driving a tent peg through his skull. That's my kind of woman. <laughs> I'm not kidding. This is the thing. There's so much oppression around the world about women and women have not been empowered to rise up and be prophetic the way that they're supposed to be and step into the call of God as pastors, evangelists. There's women from, an, from a biblical standpoint can equally lead the church and the kingdom of God as a man can. The issue comes from an unbridled, unsubmitted, unhealthy, dominant woman that goes astray and starts using the gift erroneously. Oh man, this message is going to go viral. I already know it's going to go viral. Okay, enter Huldah, the prophetess, a woman who could speak for the people in all of Judah concerning the words of the book of the law, an entrusted advisor to the priest and a trusted prophetess. Here's the context. Huldah would arrive on the scene during a terrible time of Israel's history. You would have a king named Josiah, whose dad, Ammon, and grandfather, Manasseh, were completely, completely demonic kings in Israel. Her, um, Josiah's grandfather literally had Satan worship in the temple. They worshiped the hosts of heaven, demonic demons and demon gods, and created an altar in the house of God for Satan worship in the temple. That's Manasseh. All right, 2 Kings 21. Then his son, Ammon, which is Josiah's dad, Ammon would only live or be king for two years. And he was just as bad as his dad, dead, died, and then comes Josiah at eight years old. Josiah at eight years old would become king of Israel. For 10 years, 
Who knows what's happening? No God, no book of the law, nothing. The Bible doesn't tell us for, until he's 18. So here comes an 18-year-old and he gives instruction to the priest to gather the money that's being given into the temple, give it to the elders, and the elders are gonna pay the workers to rebuild the damages to the temple. I'm paraphrasing the whole story for you, so just follow me. So at 18, Josiah gets a download, let's repair the temple. Then the high priest in the temple finds the lost book of the law, all right? And goes and reads it to King Josiah at 18 years old. When Josiah hears it, he tears his clothes, which is a sign of repentance and brokenness and humility, and basically saying, our nation has gone astray. It's become godless, and it's been a generational curse handed down from my family line. I'm gonna break this thing. I'm gonna repent. And then he says to the high priest, go and find out what does this mean? Now think about it. The king says to the priest who just finds the book of the law, find out what this means. And where does he go? To a woman. Yeah. He goes to a woman. Enter the prophetess. 2 Kings 22, 13 and 14. This is what Josiah says. Go and inquire the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found for great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us because our fathers have not obeyed the word of this book to do according to all that's written in it. So Hil- Hilkiah the priest and the others went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikva, the son of Har. And I love how it tells all this, the keeper of the wardrobe. Huldah the wife of Shalom was, was, uh, Shalom was related to Jeremiah the prophet and in the line of the wardrobe keepers. That means so much to me because the husband is now somebody that literally takes care of the wardrobe. He's a servant in the temple and has a wife that's, a, that's prophetic that gives insight and wisdom to what the words of the law mean and would ultimately set the nation back on course by prophesying, bring a prophetic word to Josiah's life. And what Josiah did is, Just go read about the life of Josiah. It is incredible what he did for Israel. So I don't have time to talk about all the other ones, but Isaiah's wife was a prophetess. In fact, he calls his wife a prophetess. How about Mary? I love talking about Mary in the Bible. Although not specifically called a prophetess, Mary was highly favored by God and super confident as a prophetic young girl She had deep insight into the fulfillment of prophecy in her own life and the lives of others, right? Should all know the story about Mary. Then we have Anna the prophetess, a great spiritual mother who would come on the scene as a widow who served God night and day with fasting and prayer in the temple, and it was a place that she never left. She comes on the scene as Jesus is being presented in the temple at 40 days old, just over a month old. According to the custom of Moses, she's being presented in the temple and then here comes Simeon, who's a spirit, the Holy Spirit was on him, a spirit-filled believer living in Jerusalem, led by the Holy Spirit to the temple. There's Jesus being dedicated. Here comes Simeon, who's declaring the prophecies over Jesus. And then comes Anna, and we have Luke 2, 36 through 38. Now there was one Anna, the 
prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, lived with the husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayer night and day. And coming in that instance, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. A woman prophetess would prophesy to all those who were looking for redemption in all of Jerusalem. And I'm going to leave you with this and we'll close. Acts 21, 8 and 9. On the next day, we, who were Paul's companions, so it's Luke writing, this is the book of Acts, departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Philip was an original deacon and now called Philip the evangelist. Why? He flipped the whole town of Samaria upside down. Now, this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. This speaks a lot to me because I want my daughter and your daughters to prophesy. How about you? I lay hands on my daughter every night to prophesy. And I encourage her. And I asked her, do you have any words? She gave an incredible word for Moni one night. She came over and she says, I have a word for Moni. She's, tell her she's my blue bonnet. God says, my daughter is nine. I want virgin daughters who prophesy. What does that mean to me? That means that these girls were remnant daughters that were uncompromising. They practiced abstinence. They were pure. They were holy. They kept themselves until marriage and their first love was the Lord or they wouldn't be able to prophesy the way that they did. Moms and dads, let's raise our daughters up to be different. Let's raise our daughters up to prophesy. If Philip did it, New Testament, we can do it. And that comes from a promise in Joel chapter two, verse 28. In the Old Testament, fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, Joel 2, 28 and 29. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And on my men, sir, and your daughters will prophesy. I don't know where that went, but it's there. You gotta go back. It's in there somewhere. The daughters will prophesy and God's gonna pour out his spirit upon who? Just men? Who are men, maid servants and men servants? It's disciples. Disciples have special access. God's pouring out on all, all flesh, but who has the access? Everybody can get it, but you have to say yes to it. The daughters should be prophesying, prophesy, 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 which requires you to be prophetic, and to hear the voice of the Lord. It requires prophetic mothers, prophetesses to train and teach the women. It requires healthy marriages. It requires women that are submitted to the first love of God. Now, I didn't get into Jezebel. Do you know that God in Revelation 2 gave Jezebel the opportunity to repent? God even loved Jezebel. And she was committing, causing God's people to commit sexual fornication in a horrible way in the temple. Don't be that girl because you don't want to read what God does to Jezebel. A very gifted, who calls herself a prophetess, which by the way, I love how it says that in Revelation 2, she called herself a prophetess. And God wasn't happy with her. Was she gifted though? Was she unbridled? The whole story of Ahab and what she did to the prophets of Israel and how she literally, her, there's so much about Jezebel. I'd love to teach a whole message on Jezebel. We'll save that probably for the Firestorm School of Ministry. 
But what I want you to understand is that God has called every single one of you as women to be leaders, to hear the voice of the Lord, to be prophetesses, to be pastors, teachers, evangelists. Just as he calls a man, he calls you. And my heart for you is to be flamed on and to understand and to believe that you are empowered. God has a special love for women and the devil knows it, which is why I believe the devil works on overtime to to bring deceptive lies and to deceive women just like he did Eve. That's what I believe. So it requires more of me. It requires me to be a better husband. It requires me to cover her, love her. And here's the thing. If you've had bad husband or husbands, or you got a husband that's not serving the Lord, God still challenges all women through their chaste conduct and how they love Jesus and how they love their lives to still honor their husbands, but to be uncompromising themselves. So women, it's time for you to rise up. Deborah's, it's time for you to rise up. Miriam's that don't get rebellious, it's time for you to rise up. Mary's, we didn't even talk about Esther. We didn't talk about Naomi. When Naomi lost her sons, she said, don't even call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Lies of the devil. I'm a bitter person now. Why was she bitter? Well, God took her sons or they died and her husband, all, this, all the stuff. That's a lie. Don't be bitter. Love, hear the voice of the Lord. And men, let's empower our women to be flamed on. I want my wife to hear God because if she's hearing God, I'm gonna hear from God. And if I don't honor my wife right, the Bible, one of the places it says in the Bible that God will not hear your prayers is if you dishonor your wife. So men really don't get an out. Men really don't get an out. So let's love our wives. Let's be spiritual leaders. Let's lay our lives down. And women, I want to see you rise up and prophesy and be spiritual mothers in the kingdom of God. That's my heart at this church. And I understand some of you have been hurt. Some of you have been abused. Some of you are in bad situations, maybe with your husbands. Maybe you don't have a husband. Maybe you're young. Let's pray that God brings you a lapidoth, you young single girls. Right? A man that's full of fire and full of love. God can do it. Don't compromise. Don't settle for less. Stop hooking up with jacked up men that aren't flamed on for the Lord. Come on. You're just like, man, they're just not out there. Maybe God's got you in hiding so that you'll get your heart healthy so that when he comes, you'll be ready. And maybe God's working on him until the right time. And in the meantime, if you're a young girl, be like Miriam at 14. Be like Mary at 14. All right, let's all stand. What I want to do is I want to pray for all the women here today. And my prayer is going to be that you'd be spirit-led, that Jesus would be your first love, that you'd be bridled first by the King of Kings. I'm going to pray for your marriages. I'm going to pray for your future. I'm going to pray for empowerment into your life. I'm going to pray that you would fully flame on. I'm going to pray for comfort for your heart and wisdom from above to be directed and led by God in everything that you do. 
And I'm gonna pray for your husbands as well, that they would be great spiritual leaders, the future husbands to come, and that the young ones here would be uncompromising and that the older ones, the widows, you know, Anna was probably in her early hundreds. If she was 84 years in the temple as, as a widow, seven years from her virginity when she got married, if she got married around mid-teens, she was gonna be in her, in her hundreds. So whether you're a widow, whether you're young, God speaks to all the women here today. No more compromise. You wanna tap into the gift that God has for you it's gonna require more of you. High commitment, high challenge. High challenge, high commitment. All right? So I'm praying for you now. Lord, I thank you for the women of this church, all the women that have been watching online today. Thank you, God, for Mother's Day. Thank you for the mothering heart that's inside all the women here and that's in your heart, God. Thank you for strong marriages and men that are real spiritual leaders of their home, that lay their lives down just as you did, that that sanctify and cleanse with the washing of the water of the word that present their brides to you, Jesus, without spot or blemish, that cover love and protect. I pray for women that have chaste conduct in their life. I pray that they would not sleep around, hook up, shack up, compromise, or be like the world. I pray that their gift would not kill them, that their gift would be submitted to their husbands, to, the, to you, to the healthy government leaders in the church, and it would be done right. Lord, you know what it looks like. Have your way in your church. Help the men of this church to be healthy and mighty men of God. Help them to lead well. Help them to cover well. Help them to not compromise. No pornography, no lust, uh, no chasing after careers and money, but first chasing after you and letting you provide the rest. God, I ask for men that are committed and sold out. And everyone that's single that desires a godly man, if you're single and you want to get married, my prayer for you is that you would be everything God's called you to be now and that you would be fully submitted to your first love, Jesus. Make Jesus your first love. Tell him, Jesus, be my first love. Because if he's not your first love, when a man comes, it's not going to be good. Let Jesus be your first love now. I pray for the teenage girls, the moms. I pray for all the wives and I pray God that we'd have strong marriages, strong sons and daughters that prophesy. Let us have remnant daughters that prophesy. Declare that over Rock City Church. Remnant daughters. May we teach our seven, eight, nine, our children, our teenage daughters to prophesy. And if you didn't do it and you blew it, just repent and get back in the fight, folks. Get back in the fight today. I love you and I bless you, women. I bless you, moms. You have a special power and key in the heart of God today. You are not less than ever in the kingdom of God. I bless you mightily on Mother's Day. In Jesus' name, amen.